Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. I'm Nigel Clark, TV presenter and performer, and I'm also host of this wonderful podcast where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. And mums, grandparents, carers, we want you involved in the conversation too. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Welcome to another episode of the Dad Vengers podcast. Today's guest is a dad of one, soon to be two. He's hosted shows like The Extra Factor and Release the Hounds for ITV, but you'll most probably know his dulcet tones from being on the nation's favourite radio station, Radio One. It is Matt Edmondson. Hello. That's the first time my tones have ever been described as dulcet. Dude, you've got one of those voices, right? You've got one of those voices that I would say everyone in the country is like, I know that voice. I, I know it. You've it's got weird. one of those. When I meet people, they say, oh, you sound like you do on the radio, as if I'd go on the radio and put on a different voice, <laughs> which actually I probably should have done because then I wouldn't have had to always have that conversation. Yeah, no, totally. It's one of those distinctive ones. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you can't start getting asked uh, later down the line to do some do some nature do some do some uh, science do all of that I'm not so sure about the old nature dog you want you know <laughs> da- David Atom has got gravitas and authority and I don't think I bring any of that you'll bring some quirk to it when you see one of those animals like mating in the wild or something you'll bring some you'll bring some comedy quirk to it I think exactly I mean to be fair I do voiceover for a show called Dress to Impress which is a dating show which is very much about people trying to mate in the wild. And so there's some crossover there, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'm, not sure I'm going to be the, you know, the go-to guy for that. I, have, I think I've got the slight problem that anything I say, no matter how sincere it is, it always sounds like I'm being sarcastic, and I'm not. I'm re- most of the time, I'm really not. Sometimes I am, but most of the time I'm not. But there's something about, I don't know what it is, the, the tone of my voice or the cadence of it, Everything I say sounds like I'm trying to take the mickey out of stuff. And, um, and I'm not. <laughs> we know you're not. We know you're not. But I do get a little <laughs> bit of, of what you're saying. I do get a little bit of that. So, sir, you are a dad to the lovely Ivy, who's five now. Is that right? She's five. Just started school about three weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, the house has never felt quieter. <laughs> you're enjoying the peace. Do you know what? I sort of am and I'm sort of not. It's been a bit weird having her go off to school um, because she was so much of our days every day. And and I've been working in this incredibly bland room that you can see that I'm in right now, (laughs) on and off, uh, for the last year or so. And um, it's been, it was always nice to be able to either have her come and invade this space and distract me or me be a bit bored and head downstairs and hang out with her. And it just means that our hangout time is a little bit harder to arrange because I do my radio show at the weekends and that's her two days off. And so I have, I've had to sort of shift my time around to make sure that I'm getting the maximum Ivy time that I can. So yeah, some, sometimes it's lovely for the piece and uh, other times, you know, I think, oh, wish she was here. Yeah. Now, the thing is, I heard that you weren't 
super, super like proactive about wanting to be a dad. You didn't want you, being a dad wasn't your your thing. No, no, I um I think I feared it quite a lot, and um it was never something that I thought that that I was that I was really eager for in life. And I think if I'd met someone and they said I don't want kids, I'd have been like, okay. Knowing what I know now, that would have been the wrong decision. But I, I was very um, unfazed by or unfussed by the idea of it. I, it was a kind of take it or leave it thing for me. My wife really, she comes from a big family and she's got lots of, she's got three brothers and all of her aunties and uncles have all had four kids. So there's like loads of, loads of kids around. Yeah. And um, she was really keen to to be a parent and... I think she eased me into it. You know, we got a dog to begin with and uh, <laughs> we realised, oh, that's okay. You know, we, we can be responsible for a, for a living thing. And then, and then, yeah, she, she was really into the idea. And, um, you know, I struggled to begin with, with um, I think just the transition of, of being a dad, almost the label of like, oh, I'm a dad now. Yeah. I found harder than the process of actually doing any parenting. Um, but that, you know, that wore off over time. And, you know, you often think if I could go back and tell myself not to worry or tell myself to be less stressed about this or to enjoy this thing more, it's very easy to do. And I feel like my entire life is those sorts of moments. Um, I would go back and say, relax. She's the best person ever. You're going you're gonna to love her more than anything and it's going to be okay. And I think until you experience it, you hear people say, oh, you're going to love them more than anything and it's going to be incredible and you don't really believe it. Uh, although the other thing that I, I, I felt was said to me a lot and, and that maybe I thought there was something wrong with me with regards to was um, people would say, oh, you know, the, the second my baby was born, I felt, you know, there was like a shift. I felt like my, the whole world changed. I was, my life was not about me anymore. It was about this other person or like some sort of moment of epiphany. And it just didn't happen for me at all. I had no moment of epiphany. It was like, okay, we've got a baby now. But there was no like great feeling in me of the world has changed forever. And I, I worried for a while that, oh, that thing that people describe, I haven't experienced. What does that mean for me? Which is generally how my brain works quite a lot. So, you know, find, find a thing to worry about and worry about it. <laughs> For me, the the joy of parenthood sort of kicked in at like year one and a half, one and a half, two, when there was a little bit more interaction. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's great. It's a couple of things that I want to talk, that mention that you just said. One, that epiphany moment, because I didn't have that. You know, your baby comes out and you're meant to have that moment where you start bawling your eyes out and you're like, whoa, hold on, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm, I feel this change, the, I, I couldn't love you anymore. I didn't have that, I'm the same as you. And it, it's funny that you say that you were worried, not even worried about it, but that it was a concern to you and you felt a little bit anxious about it because I was totally the other way. I was like, not worried that I didn't feel that because I, I knew that I was going to get to know, it's like, I don't know, getting to know a, a new person, isn't it? You You don't suddenly know that person and in terms of getting to know a new person a baby and i mean any baby not specifically yours or mine almost the worst person to get to know you know they want to <laughs> keep you up all the time um they don't care about your boundaries they, they're sick on you all the time well, you wouldn't have that person in your life so there's something must have been drawing us back to these little things <laughs> definitely definitely the other thing i wanted to to go back to was you um your head coming around uh to being more uh, accepting and uh, willing to to become a parent, let's say, uh, through, you know, you had a dog and you got eased into it. That, that you're lucky in, in some stages, in, in some ways, I should say. My situation was more like totally unplanned, very early in a relationship, boom, you're going to become a daddy. And I had to adjust. But I think, I think, Men have to adjust. A lot of men have to adjust. And I think it's because, I don't know, and I want to ask you this question. Do you think it's because of the way uh, generationally 
dads have been seen before. So before there was less getting involved with changing nappies, less getting involved in the early years, less um, being there for the school runs, taking them to nursery, all of those things. And now that's come around a bit and is changing. The landscape's totally different and we aren't as prepared for it as men. I don't know. I think it's I think it's dangerous to generalise an entire an entire sex because I think everyone's going to handle it differently. I don't know culturally whether it's whether there is any any sort of uh, what's the word adjustment from how previous generations did it. But there will have been dads who are really hands on fifty years ago, and there will also will have been dads who are really hands off. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think for me, it was more, it was more just the, the sense of, you know, I work in or had worked in like youth orientated media and still yeah, do. Yeah, you did my, CBBC, right? I did CBBC. I did T4, ITV2, Radio 1. And I still do lots of those things. Um, not T4. They killed it. But the other <laughs> things. And um and I think there was this feeling of like, oh, I'm now a dad. There's like a label that someone can put on me that says I'm a dad. Does that age me? Even though I was quite young when it happened. So that was the worry there. In terms of in terms of your experience, you know, I'm a very um, I'm quite an anxious person. I like I like to uh, I'm, I like to avoid risk. I'm very risk averse. And um, almost, having a baby is a risk. <laughs> having a baby is a risk, but like almost comically so, uh, I'm risk averse. And so the idea that out of nowhere. You, you know, you're not planning this thing and then a baby comes along. That I would have had to buy a passport on the dark web and leave the country. That would have, that would have absolutely terrified me. I heard a story recently and it, it kept me up for a few days. So a friend of a friend of a friend were struggling to have children. And so they hired a surrogate. They got a surrogate. They lived in the States and they were doing IVF. And as can happen with IVF, they got um, they got twins. So twins. the surrogate was having twins. So they're like, okay, fine. We'll get these two kids out at the same time. Great. And I'm sure there are many benefits to that. And I'm sure there's a lot of pain as well in the early in the early <laughs> stages. But they were like, no, no, we'll do that. They'd been told that they couldn't conceive, and that's why they'd gone down the surrogate route. Two months after their surrogate fell pregnant with IVF, they fell pregnant against all odds. With twins. So they have four under one. So they got... And there's a three-month age gap between the two twins. Now that, when you're like, oh, let's have a baby, and you end up with four babies, that's the sort of stuff that makes my head spin. And I think, that'll keep me up at night, the idea of that. That would keep anyone up at night. (laughs) Four babies... Waking up throughout the night, needing feet. No, no, just, just no, the sh- no, no. I think just the shock of like, oh, I've got to deal with this thing now. And it's not like, you know, some, some things that happen in life that are unexpected. I, I try and think, will I, will I be worried about this a year from now? Or will I be worried about this a month from now? Or will I be worried about it a week from now? And obviously with a baby, you're going to be worried. You're going to be worried about that baby until you die. And so... You know, I, I think having the having the the sudden surprise, I um, I feel for you there. But you, but you know what? It's probably a brilliant thing, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take it back. Wouldn't change it for the world. Would yeah. not change it for the world. Change the direction of my life, and yeah, if I was to go back, I would do exactly the same again. Brilliant, literally. Speaking of more babies and multiples, you are about to become a father part two yes yes it doesn't feel real yet so um so we're having a little girl and she's due in january and we're recording this in october and so it doesn't feel like it's uh it doesn't feel like it's real yet i mean it is real because Bryony's quite heavily pregnant and um and but, but what's what's different this time round is that I feel like we were very tuned into the journey on the first time. You know, we had the app that says they're the size of a kumquat or whatever. And you're like, oh, amazing. And then we did NCT and we did hypnobirthing, which is fantastic, by the way. Strong, strong recommend. Um, but this time round, 
we haven't done anything. We haven't even we've got a we've got a nursery. We haven't bought a cot. We haven't painted it. It's just like <laughs> it's referred to by Ivy as the junk room at the moment because we moved house. We just stuffed everything in there. We've not um, talked about names. We've not uh, we've done nothing. No prep. And it feels very weird. I feel very underprepared for it. The thing is, you're going to go into nesting phase, like, as it gets closer. As January approaches, I'm sure that Bryony's going to say, hey, hey, Matt, we need to, we need to get organised now. Oh, she's she's hit the nesting phase already. Yesterday, she I came downstairs and there was a guy cleaning our oven. And I was like, who's this guy? She said, oh, he's, a, <laughs> he's, an, oven, he's an oven cleaner. It's like... I didn't know that was a job, but it is. And I'll tell you what, the guy's done a smashing job. But um, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. I just thought, you know, you bought oven cleaner and and, and did it. But I don't know what this guy did. Oh my goodness, it's unbelievable. It's like a new oven. Um, but but that that definitely is born from a place of there's a baby on the way. We must get things ready. And uh, and so yeah, so the oven got cleaned against my knowledge. I want to delve into a couple of things. Firstly, um, your parenting experience, as in how you were parented as a child and maybe how that uh, sculpted your want to be a parent and how you are a parent now. So what was it like growing up for you? Okay, so there are sort of two sides to, to this. So the first is, largely, it was fine. Um, it was... A, it was a, an atmosphere was harboured whereby rules weren't really a thing, and I don't know if that's good or bad. But as a kid, it felt good because no one likes to follow rules. Me and my sister were both pretty well behaved, and there was a real sense of you know, be a kid, just do, just do what you want to do. Yeah, there were no chores. There were no kind of like, uh, you know, tidy a room or do this or do that. It was it was very freeing. And my sister and I were both very uh, creative and creatively minded. And we always had little projects on the go. And I've not really grown out of that. I've always, you know, got something ticking along that's, you know, a bit of fun as a side side project. And um, and our parents really just indulged us in that. They would they would let us do you know if we were into something they came on the journey with us see my sister got into really big into irish dancing off the back of watching river dance and fell hard into it for you know 5 years and they just took her along to all the irish dancing events and got her the dress and supported her i was into magic and they were really you know there's probably nothing worse than a child that's into magic cuz all they want to do is show you tricks all the time <laughs> and um and my parents were really supportive of that we, you know, I think they they instilled me with this this idea of, oh, you can do it. You know, if you want to do it, you can do it. And they, I don't think they ever said that, but there was, but the lack of um, resistance meant that you just went and did stuff. So, you know, I was constantly up to unusual things that that I look back on and think, oh, that's quite odd for a for a child to be kind of getting involved in that stuff. My parents were just very. Um, you know, very supportive and very, but never in a never in a pushy way. Almost like they didn't know what was going on. They were just happy that I was, I was, uh, you know, keeping busy. <laughs> That's really cool. That's a really cool um, thing, though, because I think a lot of parents now strive for that. But maybe before it was, oh, you've got to concentrate on your work. Do this. You've got to, you know, focus on. I don't know what football or focus on your maths at school focus on but it sounds like you had a much more free reign to explore things and find what you liked and find what you enjoyed which is which is great yeah and we I mean I used to flip between interests as a kid all the time and there were sort of phases of my life that have been defined by like oh my gosh I'm really into this thing now um but there were little things along the way like I remember wanting to learn Morse code and so I went to the library, bought a book on Morse code, came home and learned it. And I think my mum was just happy that I was off doing something. And then the second part of that, I said it was sort of two parts, is that, and I, I didn't have a great awareness of this as a kid, but looking back, I've been able to um, put a, make a lot of sense of it. So my, my dad was an alcoholic 
And I didn't really know that as a kid. I knew that he liked to drink. I didn't know that he liked to drink that much. Um, and, you know, at the time, he was a, he was a difficult guy. He was difficult. And um, he, was, he was often not, not all there. I don't mean like he was passed out drunk, although I'm sure that was the case sometimes. But I think that, uh, you know, he was tired a lot, because I think drinking does that to you if you, if you drink a lot. Um, he was incredibly funny and hilarious, but I think he found life challenging. And, um, you know, he had bipolar, which got worse towards the end of his life. He sadly took his own life when I was 20. I'm and so, so we'd sorry, had quite, Pete. we'd had, a, thank you, we'd had quite a fractious teenage years. Um, and so, you know, it was, that was looking, if so, if you'd have met me 10 years ago, and this was, you know, even after he died, and someone said, did you have a childhood, a nice childhood? I'd have said, yeah, it was fantastic. It was magical. You know, it was brilliant. Um, and it's only since I think having a kid, but also going and doing some work with a therapist, kind of looking back at all that stuff, I realized, ah, okay, there was some, some dynamics in the house that just weren't great. And, you know, anyone who's got anyone in their life that's an addict, um, will I'm sure relate to some of, some of that. Um, and so, and so it's hard, you know, the, the, the you know if we'd have been doing this chat 10 years ago i'd have been like oh it was great oh let me tell you about our christmases yeah. we had or these holidays we had or whatever but i think that i think that it's important to be honest about things like this yeah. because i'm certain that other people will be um will have had similar experience in fact, i know they have because i've spoken about it on social media and um uh the the kind of the the uh, the door that it knocks down to just say, this thing happened. I got through it. It was awful. Um, but, you know, we, we live to tell, tell the tale. Yeah. Um, has, has been, I think, I think quite useful for people. And also, you know, you might have a, there might be a dad listening who's worried about their own drinking, thinking, ah, oh, I don't want that to happen with my kids. And you know, maybe this is the, the voice you need to hear. I'm so glad you said that because that's a huge part of, the Dad Vengers podcast and what we do on the Dad Vengers site and, and the talks that we have on Friday nights on Dad Chats is about um, modelling stuff and showing people that everyone goes through different situations and there are ways to get out of those situations, ways to find help, ways to, to help yourself get to a better place. So yeah, everyone's stories that we have are so helpful to other people. So thank you for being open about this one. That's all right. You said your dad, uh, you didn't know at the time. Do you think he was hiding it? Um, I think he probably was. I mean, I, I obviously have no way of knowing how bad it was. Towards the end of his life, I know it was very bad, his drinking. But I hadn't lived at home at that point for, you know, five years. So I wasn't keeping an eye on it. And I think as a kid, I was just keeping my head down, trying not to trying not to get involved or not wanting to get involved. I think, you know, as a child, you do have a way of shielding yourself sometimes from, from things that could be hard. I, I think he was hiding it. I don't think that I would have been tuned into it particularly. You know, I've always been very... I've, I've always been quite disconnected from the present, if that makes sense. So I'm a big daydreamer and... Those daydreams can sometimes be, oh my gosh, everything's so exciting. The world's the best place ever. And they can sometimes be, oh, the world's gloomy. It's bad. I'm in panic. But it tends to all go on up in my head. And I I don't connect with the the everyday space all that much. No, that sounds unusual. But I um you know, and and it comes down to things like uh uh I'll throw in something lighthearted here. Uh, it comes down to things like my wife will say, Matt, there's um, there's a thing in the bedroom that has been there for two weeks that you put there. You're not going to move it. And I just haven't literally haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. 
because I'm just not looking. I'm not connecting to it. I'm just in my own head thinking, oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, great. And and I think I was like that as a kid. I was always in like a world of my own. So I wasn't really connected deeply to what was going on around me. And I think also my mum is a, uh, you know, she's quite, she's a people pleaser and she's very much a, a sort of, oh, everything's okay. Everything will be all right. Um, and, and it means that when things weren't all right, you know, it was, it was sold as, oh no, it's just a thing. Oh, it's just this, this or, you know, it'll be, it'll be okay. And, and so, and so no, I don't think I had a great awareness of it. And again, sort of before he, he died, we, we really, we were able to put the label on, on it. Oh, you're an alcoholic. Let's try and get you some help. Um, sadly not, you know, not soon enough, but, um, but up until that point, if someone said, do you, are your parents alcoholics? I'd be like, no, they, you know, they like a drink, but no, no, God, absolutely not. And then you look back and think, oh yeah, they, he definitely was. My mum, not, uh, not so much. I mean, she, you know, she would drink, but, um, in a very controlled way. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's very hard to know. It's very hard to know. And I think because of my, um, because I'm always being in my own head a lot, I've got really bad autobiographical memory. I find it really hard to remember stuff that I've done or places I've been. And, you know, from a kid, from yesterday, I'm really bad at remembering <laughs> things. We all go through that little bit of that. I, I can't remember what I did yesterday right now and I'm not going to try to because mm. it'll take me too long. We are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. Grab that Mighty Steel Classic truck. It's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. Something that I'm interested in is maybe, and I'm just going to put this out there you, just to trigger things really, do you think maybe you were unconsciously aware and do you think that maybe that unconscious awareness fed your um, lack of keenness to become a parent knowing what you'd been through or what your dad had been like? Um, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not entirely certain. I think that... I. I because I'm the I'm the youngest sibling, so um, and and one of my great fears, and it's interesting. I talked to different people. I have talked to a few different people about this, and some people are like, "I'm with you." I had that same fear, and some people are like, "Oh no, I felt the opposite." One of my greatest fears was my parents having another child, because I didn't I didn't want the competition. I I assume, but I it, it used to keep me up at night. Like, oh, what if they have another baby? What does that do to my position in the family? Um, I just, I hated the idea of it. And I think that, that fear meant that I was very sort of not interested in babies, not interested in children, not interested in, you know, it was like, don't want, don't want them around. It's going to be very, um, they're going to be annoying, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I, I sort of stuck with that thing in my head and, you know, other people's kids can be annoying. They can be <laughs> frustrating your own kids your own kids can be annoying as well <laughs> they can they can but you but it's like um you know it's like smelling your own fart you don't mind so much um and and i think so i think that played into it but i also had this i uh, this sense of you know my my life my kind of work it's it's i'm really lucky in that a lot of it just comes from having an idea and then seeing if that idea can become a thing and I probably have about 100 ideas a year and two of them happen. But I have to make space for the 98 that don't to, to exist. And, um, and I sort of thought, well, having a kid, I'm just going to be hard to be, I got to be more regimented. There are going to be um, structures in place. And what I like to do, and it's, you know, it's very indulgent, is wake up and think, what do I want to do today? What, what's the universe telling me that I should focus on? I know I've got these things I have to do, but what do I want to do? And I've always sort of, that's always how I've, how, how I've lived. And, and it's, um, you know, it's worked out all right. 
And so the idea of like throwing a grenade of a child in there that needs a sleep routine and all the rest of it, I think, I think that was it. But it, I think more so it was just that I'd never, um, I didn't have any experience with babies or children. Yeah. And the, the, the limited experience I did have was like, oh my gosh, these, these poor people, they seem like they're having a terrible time looking after this, this toddler. Why would anyone do that to themselves? That was that was, I think, the the overarching thought. Maybe on some subconscious level, I did think. Um, I, I think I think I I do not even on a subconscious level, on a conscious level, think. I you know I would never want Ivy to have to talk to a therapist about me. I would never want her to have to feel like she didn't have all of my attention or that, um, you know, that, that I was in some way missing these, these years of her life. I, um, it, I think it's important to me that she doesn't experience some of the feelings that, that I have around my dad. And it's hard to talk about this stuff because it, it sounds like, oh, it's all negative. And actually there were so many fantastic, he was a, he was a really fun dad when he was on, he was yeah. an incredibly brilliant dad. Um, and, and loads of the stuff that I do that I know Ivy enjoys as a, as a dad, I've nicked whole from him. From him. Yeah. Um, but I also would want our, our relationship to be a, a different one. You know, I, I, it's very, in anyone who's experienced, um, someone that they're close to taking their own life there is sadness but there is also a sort of hatred that can come with it a a, a sense of did you blame yourself why... at all no i didn't i mean i hadn't because i know I that that can happen some people do yeah no that that didn't happen for me i i was really aware that he had quite a severe mental health issue with the bipolar and then when we discovered the drinking I no, I no part. I blamed him. You know, I, 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 I was filled with a sense of um, anger towards him. How could you do this? How could you do this to my mum? How could you do this to us? Um, just angry at you know, just angry at him. And that's a. Uh, I never. I would never want Ivy to feel those feelings for me. I sort of want to be, you know, BFFs. Uh, so, so I think, I think it's been, it's been instructive in that sense. And, you know, I don't drink and I'd, I decided that I wasn't going to drink when I was maybe 10. I just was like, I'm not going to do it. And so you did, must know, be, you did know something. It must be connected. It must be connected to the yeah. fact that, um, that my, my dad was an alcoholic, but, um, it was a really conscious decision in me of like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And I think it's really useful that I didn't because um, I, I'm probably more similar to my dad than, you know, I would want to want to be. And I think if I, if I had started drinking, I wonder whether or not I, I would have also been able to control my, my intake. You mentioned just now about therapy, about having therapy about your dad. Um, one of the things right now that is high on the agenda is men's mental health. How did you get to a position where you could comfortably go to therapy? Just because there are so many men out there who may want to go to therapy, but they have little blocks in their, in their, in their own heads. Um, yeah, men going to therapy is a big thing and a difficult thing. How did you how did you manage to get to that point? Um, it took ages, to be honest. Um, I was I was getting these mood swings that would would feel like, and this is how I felt about it, like normality, and then a much lower depressive state. And when I was in the much lower depressive state, I thought, oh. I, maybe I got depression or something like that. And I would, I tried a few times, I spoke to my doctor about it and he was like, okay, yeah, you should go and try cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we'll sign you up to a course. And then by the time the course came along, like three months later, 
I was feeling fine again. And I was like, ah, I probably don't need to do that. I can't even relate to that guy that was worried about it. And that maybe happened two or three times. And then I hit one of those down phases and I went, it was really bad. And I was like, I'm going to have to just go and see someone else. And so I, I found a sort of private doctor and said, look, this is what's going on for me. And I described what was happening. And he said, oh, I think you've got cyclothymia. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. Um, literally never heard the word before. And he was like, it's a sort of relative of bipolar. It's like a, he described it as a sort of very watered down bipolar. So if bipolar is extreme mood, so extreme um, depression, very, you know, very, very depressed. Uh, and at the other end of the, the spectrum, a lot of um, like hypermanic energy. So staying up all night or, um, you know, embarking on almost superhuman levels of energy. This is like narrowed in from that. So you're never going as far to either extreme, but you're on this sort of undulating um, journey of an up phase, a down phase, an up phase, a down phase. And they, you know, they're not equal in measure. And, uh, and sometimes you get a little bit of time in between the two. And I was like, okay. So he said, go and see a, um, like a, whoever, I can never remember the name, but like a, you know, like a, whoever it is that you go and see about something like that. And, uh, and so I did. And they said, yeah, yeah, we we think you've got cyclothymia. And just the knowledge that there was a thing that I had was so, I can't tell you how relieving it was to be able to come home and go, oh, right. So it's not that's that what I'm it is. depressed or this thing. <laughs> I have this thing that's going on for me. And it's a thing that I can notice and try and have some control over rather than it trying to control me. And so that was massively beneficial because what I had thought was, I am I'm this incredibly happy, productive guy until one of these dark clouds rolls in. And actually, that isn't the case. I'm I've that that time when I'm feeling fantastic is part of the cyclothymia. And it's it in itself can be quite destructive because it can take over me. You know, if I've got an idea for something, it's like I will. I may as well not be in the house. I'll disappear for a week and I'll come out the other side having made something that should take six months to make. But I've done it in five days because I've. I've been on this sort of energy that feels like it's it's someone else. Um, and so, you know, both of those those states could be destructive if you let them control things. And so I thought, right, it's probably time to go and figure out how to manage this. And. Yeah, booked in, booked in with a therapist and was very kind of sceptical, you know, really thought what's going to happen here. And I was someone who's probably listening now, very sceptical. Well, I was really of the mind that, and, you know, bearing in mind that, you know, my dad killed himself when I was 20. Um, I was like, there's nothing to talk about with that. I'm, I'm totally chill about it. It happened. I've not thought about it since the day it happened, really. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> and, you know, life no, is rosy. <laughs> exactly. No feelings to be unearthed here at all. And I remember in the first session, or one of the first sessions, she, she was talking, you know, just getting a sense of where I was at and all the rest of it. And I was going for like, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed sometimes. And she'd say, you know, tell me about what things were like as a kid. And I was like, oh my God, here goes the therapist. Wants to know what it was like as a kid. Fine, I'll indulge you with some questions. And they have an amazing way of guiding you back into your own head and back into your own life. And... um it's incredible how much was just sitting at the surface ready to come out. And so, yeah, we, she mentioned my dad. And the first time I was like, no, there's nothing to, nothing to see there. Cause I probably, you know, self-defense, you're thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to open up that, that box of trauma, but it's so worth opening because I never spoke about it before. You know, I went 10 years. I didn't even talk to my friends about it. And now here I am talking to, I don't, you know, we don't know each other. I'm talking to you about it. And what imagine the, that how freeing that must be for a person that this thing this weight they were carrying around they're no longer having to carry and there's no shame attached to it and there's no anxiety attached to it and there's no horror attached to it it's just a thing that you can process 
And yeah, therapy just massively helped me with that. And um, and it's quite it's weirdly addictive. Like you you think, great, let's let's do let's find out uh, let's find out more about myself. I think the scariest part of it, yeah, is deciding to do it. That's the hardest bit. And I actually find generally, you know, organizing things, even if someone said, oh, the heating's gone, you have to book a plumber. I would find that overwhelming. There's yeah. something about logistics, day-to-day tasks, I find very overwhelming. And, um, you know, like any of those things, once you do it, you realize, oh, it wasn't that hard. You know, it wasn't that hard to book a plumber. And it isn't that hard to find a therapist. And you don't have to commit. If you don't like them, you don't have to commit to the first one. You know, try. You can try. A, try a few. Think of it like dating. Um, but it's um, it's really, it's really easy to say the benefits for, on the other side of it. I think it's really hard to hear those benefits beforehand because it's expensive and it feels like, why would I want to revisit any of those painful things? Why would I want to stare at myself and and do it? And I, I think about that with phobias sometimes. You know, if someone said, if you've got a phobia of spiders and someone says, hey, come and pay £100 a week for the next eight weeks and uh, at the end of it, we're going to put a spider on your hand and you're going to be fine. You would think, well, I don't want a spider on my hand because I'm scared of spiders. And and so why why would I ever want to go? I'll just avoid the spiders for the rest of my life. I'll just avoid spiders. And, and, and I don't want to spend £800 on being able to have a spider on my hand at the end of it. And what you don't realise is how f- how much freer you will feel at the end of it when you're not letting that fear control whatever it is. And obviously, spiders, a s- small fry. But if there is stuff that's gone on in your life, um, it's just it's unbelievably beneficial to chat about it. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm here for it. Yes, I'm here for it as well. Totally here for it. And another side of it is, I think, once you've been through something like that and you're more open to it, then we can help our children be more open and, and mindful of, of, of themselves and, and be able to express things and talk about things. I think it goes further than just the person who's, who's going through therapy. It, it, it it bleeds into our families, it bleeds into our lives, and it, and it does nothing but help those other parts of our lives. Yeah, I think it's amazing, actually, that, that the way that it helps, because you're having to process your own feelings. And there's, you know, we, we have more, I guess, more complex or perhaps more barriers in place, mental barriers in place to our own feelings as, as adults. We've sort of put these protective roadblocks in place. But as a kid, it's so um, at the surface, if they're upset by something or they, you know, or and often it's something that's not rational or whatever, the, 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 the kindest thing to do is go, talk them through their own feelings. And I really want that from from Ivy and, and from the next the next one. I want them to feel like they can know themselves and, and talk, talk to us and come to us without fear of you know any judgment and for us to sort of be able to guide them emotionally and it's uh you know in the same ways that you you pinch other behaviors from people in life sometimes the therapist says something you think oh i'm keeping that i'm going to use that with uh with the next time that um that something kicks off with ivy yeah having had a dad who was bipolar and yourself having cyclothymia Thymia, is that how you Cyclothymia, it? yeah. Cyclothymia. I bet it's the only time you ever hear it in your life. It's a, it's a, um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. I, it, it's the sort of thing that I feel like I definitely should be talking about because I reckon there'll be other people out there who have, who can relate to that feeling of like, sometimes I feel like I'm a superhero and I've got so much energy and I get loads done. And then other times I feel a bit flat. And yeah, um, and yeah it's, you know, it has a name. Go and get it checked out. So having a dad who's been bipolar, you, you've suffered with your own mental health. Do you worry about your children? Um, I, think it's, I think it's a challenging one to spend too much time worrying about. And, and I'll be honest, if there's something to worry about, I will normally worry about it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a big, you know, big worrier. 
But no, and I think part of that comes from the sense of I'm going to I'm going to make sure that the foundations are there for her to be able to talk about these things. Um, and it's the craziest thing that if you're um, if you are feeling a bit down or you can't put your finger on why or maybe you can, you know, it's, you're embarrassed by something from the world that's triggered you into feeling a certain way and you think is almost a you know, shame of like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like that. You know, if like a colleague gets a promotion over you or, you know, it's even like, oh, you were really excited about that piece of carrot cake and someone else has just nabbed it before you in the canteen. It's not there. And you've been thinking about it all day. I just, just being able to say to somebody, oh, this is how I'm feeling. And then go, okay, yeah. Without any like, you don't have to fix it. No judgment. I find it, I find it so helpful. I, I had it. I had it the other day where I was just no idea why. Woke up feeling quite low, and I was at, having a cup of tea at a cafe with my wife and our friend Laura, and I, I just had it in my in my brain this sort of swirling, anxious, negative thoughts, and I just thought I'm just going to have to say this is going on for me right now, and just to let you know, and I did, and it it's killed it. It was. It had no power over me. It was amazing just to be able to say to two people, and they were like, "Oh, sorry to hear that." And that was it. From that, my day went up from that point. It's um, it's so weird, isn't it? The human mind. It is. It's very, very weird. But to be able to be, you probably wouldn't have been able to be open like that before. So it would have changed the trajectory of your day. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have acknowledged it. I'd have tried to sort of um, bury it deep and hide from it. And I think, I think just having an awareness of like, oh, sometimes you're not going to feel great. And also having things in place, like I've, I found some tools for me that are incredibly beneficial at, at lifting, lifting me out of when I can feel myself going into one of the, the downward phases. I've got like a real method that works for me. Um, and equally, if I feel myself going a bit crazy into not crazy, that's the wrong word to use. If I feel myself going a bit into the more hyper stage, um, I can recognise that and go, ah, oh, as tempting as it feels, there's a better way of structuring this. And so, um, and so, yeah, and I would not have got any of that without, you know, chatting to someone about the cyclothymia and, and the other therapy stuff. Now, you've mentioned it a few times, you're quite a creative person, you like to uh, have lots of fun, and you and Ivy play a lot, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm her kind of chief um make-believe buddy and uh i find it quite easy i find it you know my, my wife i'm not gonna say she hates it but she, she it's a struggle for her to go and you know be a pirate or be a i don't know a shopkeeper or whatever she's she's she does it she's good at it but um she doesn't yeah it doesn't it's not her natural area um but, Whereas you can run around as a lion dinosaur shopkeeper. Yeah, I, I, I like, I, li I quite like the play and I quite like, you know, structuring it. I quite like, it's like you're directing in a way, aren't you, with, with playtime. <laughs> you're, you're, and you're, and you're, you're collaborating, you're pitching ideas on what if we do this? And the other person's like, oh no, we should do that. And I like, I like that. I like the kind of creative sparring of, um, of, of playing. I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes... I've got no interest in it and I'm really tired and, and my head's not in it. But if you get me on a good day, you know, I'm a fantastic, a fantastic play buddy. Um, and I, I have this haunting feeling that this time is, is finite uh, with, at this age where she really wants to just come and do silly things that aren't encumbered with shame or embarrassment or oh i'm too cool for that or i'm not interested or i just want to do something on my own this is a kind of magic window of time where i am the coolest person in the world and her favorite person to play with and uh and i have a real sense of that clock ticking and uh, and wanting to make the most of it so yeah i um i i'm i'm here for the for the imaginative play and my goodness me she's amazing at coming up with stuff you know she's She's a sort of creative powerhouse when it comes to coming up with new scenarios for playing. This is it, because um, 
When we met, as you know, we, we talked about a game that you and your daughter had come up with. Tell us a bit about that and the other games that you've been doing, because you've got into this world of, of, of designing like family games, really. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a sort of, you know, I said, I, I have a hundred ideas and two of them happen. This is one of the ones that happened. So um, I, I've always loved games, board games and things like that. But more than that, I like what I like is format. Like I love a quiz show on the telly. I love figuring out how all the, the bits of it go together, the mechanics of it, the rules, or what happens if this occurs, what happens if that occurs. For some reason, I just really like structured fun. Um and and so a few years ago I had an idea for a board game, having never made one before, and I uh I took it to a company called Big Potato, a game called Obama Llama, which is all about celebrities doing things that rhyme with their own name. Barack Obama on a llama, George Clooney pulling a Mooney, Britney Spears using garden shears, that sort of thing. And um, and it did really well. And I think, you know, if you do a thing once, you think, oh, I could do that again. And so I sort of had this, this odd side project that would, that would uh, happen every sort of three months. I'd think up a new board game and I'd go and sell it to someone and they'd make it. So I've got about six or seven games out in the world, but they're all, um, they're all designed by and uh, manufactured by and distributed by other people. So I was just the ideas, the ideas guy. And that really suited me. But then when the pandemic happened, I found myself locked in the room that I'm in now, um, staring at a lot of empty space. And I thought, what can I do to pass the time and I had two projects. I'll tell you about the other one in a second. But I had two things that were that were like, right, this is going to keep me sane during this time. And I thought, why not try and make a board game, but all of it, you know, do the design of it and, and manufacture it and all the rest of it. And as I said, logistics is not my bag, but my brother-in-law is fantastic, fantastic at being a logistical guy. It hasn't got a creative bone in his body. So it's quite a good partnership because he just lets me do the ideas and then he'll say, right, I found a factory and we've got a truck picking it up and it's taking it to this warehouse and he does all of that stuff. And so I just had a go in lockdown at making a game. And we made a game called Answergrams, which is like a trivia game with a bit of a countdown conundrum thing at the end of it. And, uh, and it did really well. And, you know, I, I made so many errors in making the game. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but there was the, the stakes were incredibly low because it was only me that I was working to. You know, it was, it was. If I make it, great. If I don't, I don't. So I had to learn Ill Illustrator, which is a very complex, frustrating, that is complex <laughs> piece of software. I had to figure out how to do graphic design. I hadn't done anything like it before, and um, and I made this game through sort of blood, sweat, and tears, and it did really well, and. John Lewis, the department store, heard about it and said, oh, we'd like to stock that game. Do you have any other ideas? And that is the most dangerous thing they could have said to me because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all I, every day I think up a new board game idea. I just don't have anything to do with it. And, um, and at the time I'd been working on this game with Ivy and it had come off the back of her doing painting. She's really into painting and drawing. And we had these paints out, um, kind of poster paints, and I left her for about a minute to go and rinse some paintbrushes under the tap. So she was at the kitchen table. I had my back turned. And I just heard from the other side of the room her go, <gasps> and I was like, oh, no, what's happened? It must have gone everywhere. And I turned around and it was fine. And I said, what's gone on? And she said, Daddy, I've invented purple. And I thought, oh, you've mixed red and blue and you've created purple. And she was her mind was blown. And I thought, ah, there's something in that as a game. There's something in mixing colours and being surprised by the result of it. And so we sat right then and there and I was like, right, what could we, what could mix together to make a thing? And she was like, birds, they could lay an egg. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Two birds could lay an egg and the egg would be the colour of the two birds. If I had a blue bird and a red bird, they'd lay a purple egg. And then... I was like, great, that's it. And so I just worked up the mechanics of the game into a sort of structure where it would play like snap or dobble, so kind of fast paced, but would rely on people having to mix either the colours of these birds or the colours of the backgrounds that they were on. 
And um, we just played it every day. We made a version out of, you know, bits of card that I printed off here. And we just played it nonstop. And we kind of figured out the mechanics together. And, you know, oh, if someone gets something wrong, well, they should be punished for that. So, you know, they'll put a card in, a, in the middle. And, and we kind of figured it out together over, over a few weeks of playing it. And we still play it a lot now because, you know, now we can play the real version. And so, yeah, we saw, again sold that into, into John Lewis and, and other places. And, um, yeah, it's called Eggs. It's called Egg Slam. And it's fantastic. It's, it's great. And it's a great thing for her to have seen as well because she's, she's really been there on the entire process of the idea going from in our brains to then we can walk into a shop and see it. That is such an incredible thing. I mean, we're, we're all about championing uh, dads being involved with their kids and playing, playing with their kids and stuff. But you now have something that will be like etched in time forever that like me me and my daughter and for her me and my dad we used to play this game and now it's a nationally available game that yeah we just that came out of a bit of fun between yeah. me and my it's my, um, my daughter yeah that's incredible yeah it's 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 been really fun and and you know anything i do that's a bit creative i do try and get her involved or excited you know she's very into i i do like um a bit of i've been trying to learn music production and um i i i've got her into drum sequencing so she loves just creating drum beats but because it's you know i don't know if you've ever used a sequencer but it's basically dividing the time up into um into, into Four, the divisions 16, of, eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, into the divisions of like a musical bar. Yeah. And so it means that you can turn sounds on and off at any point and it's going to sound in time. It might not sound great, but it will sound <laughs> in time. Um, and she loves, you know, turning on hi-hats or uh, kick drums or snares or whatever, just playing with the order of them and creating little drum loops. It's one of her favourite things to do. I'll, I'll wind back a few years ago because my my job on the radio a few years ago I got to go to a recording studio. Now I'm not musical at all. I can't play any instruments. I can't sing. I can barely clap in time. If you've ever seen my me dance, I am a man who has not got rhythm in his bones. Um, but obviously love playing songs on the radio and love music. But the idea of its creation was so. Um, away from what I ever thought I could get interested in. But I went to this studio as a, as a thing for the radio, where we're going to write a silly song with the, the pop star example and his producer. And we were in this room and uh, we're just trying to come up with this thing. And I was like, oh, I kind of know what I want it to be. And I said, I don't know how to express this, but I can hear this thing. And I sang something out of tune. And the producer was like, oh, yeah, that's um, that's a bass line you've just hummed there. And he turned to his keyboard and he played what I just hummed. And I was I was like, oh, my God, that is the feeling I've been chasing my whole life, which is download the immediate download of a thought from my head existing in the real world. You know, if you've ever tried to make anything, if you try to do like build a shed, you have to build the shed. It takes ages. If you've, um, you know, tried to draw a picture, it takes ages to do. If you've tried to make a board game, it took me a year to get a game from, you know, start to finish. Making TV shows takes forever, making radio takes forever. This was like, I thought it, that guy played it. Oh my goodness. It took two seconds. And, uh, and so that kept happening in this session where I keep saying, oh, I can hear like a, almost like a bell going ding, 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 ding. And you go, find a bell and play it in. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need some of this in my life. And I went home and I, I was like, right, I'm opening up GarageBand on my laptop and I'm going to try and figure this out. And I knew almost less than nothing. Yeah. Anyway, when lockdown happened, I was like, right, I've got time. I'm going to make an album and I'm going to do it with the biggest pop stars I can get my hands on. And so I slid into the DMs of 10 of my favourite musicians and said, hey, I'm really bored. Do you want to come and write a song with me? And I thought I'd record it as a podcast, like we are now. And I had no idea how it would go. Um, and, but I booked them all in and I said, I need three hours of your time and we're going to write a song 
you're going to send me a vocal and then I'm going to produce it because then I've got something to work towards. I've got a thing that I'm going to do. And it was ama- you know, amazing. They all said, yes, yeah, so I've done a song with James Arthur, Griff, um, Tom Grennan, Tom Walker, Maisie Peters, Sigrid, Becky Hill. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to forget wow, anyone here. Wow. Look, Ray. This is um, incredible. And this was all off the back of working with, did you say example? Yeah, I did a de- one day as a joke in the studio with this thing, but it changed my life. I changed my life because I was like, I need that feeling that I just experienced there. And I, and I need to be the one able to translate it from my head into the real world. Um, and so, yeah, the, the podcast is called Not Another Love Song. I don't know when this is going out, but it, it'll probably be out by the time this goes out. It's, it's launching in a couple of weeks from now. And yeah, it's, it's 10 episodes, 10 songs. And uh, each, the only rule is that the, the song has to be about something unexpected that, that they would never normally write a song about. They're sort of silly subject matters, but we take the songwriting incredibly seriously. So... We've done a song. The James Arthur one's about hay fever. The Maisie Peters one's about Timothy Chalamet. The uh, Ray one is about birthday cards. The Sigrid one's about watching TikTok. Becky Hills is about the woman who pops pimples, Dr. Pimple Popper. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And so, and so you, but, but, but I've tried to make them in the genre of each of the artists. Um, and this sounds tried, wicked. I'm, I'm going to be downloading this podcast. This, this is thanks. sounding amazing. So yeah, you've got to you've got to imagine like it's basically an idiot who knew nothing about music figuring out how to do it, and and you, so you hear us write the song together, which is quite a, a thing I've never heard anyone do before because you normally retrospectively people say, oh, we made the song and this is how it was made, and there's a kind of sugar coating to it, but actually just hearing two people both try and get to the best version of an idea, it's it's really you don't see or hear it that often. And obviously, I, I'm, I, I have no experience in the, in the area. So when I'm saying, oh, I think it should do this, it's a fantastic dynamic of someone who knows what they're doing and someone who doesn't trying to achieve the same thing. And then, yeah, I, I also explain how I made it, how I made the song before you hear the song. And then you hear the full song and they sound like songs you would hear on the radio by those artists at the end of the podcast, you hear the, the, a full, we've done, you know, full three and a half minute, four minute um, song for each person. And they've done their vocals in studios. It sounds unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm looking forward know, to that. You're... Plus, if you ever need to get a, a nursery rhyme together for your, for your newest one, you need to hit me and Giovanna up. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll get a little nursery rhyme happening for you. Amazing. Yeah, perfect. Listen, Matt, I've taken up so much of your time, but there's one more thing that I need to do before you go. We ask all the people that come on the Dadvengers podcast this very thing. If you had a dad superpower, what would it be and why? I think my dad's superpower would be being able to make any food taste however Ivy wanted it to taste. I would be able to I pick like up it. broccoli and make it taste like Pizza. sweets. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, she um, she's a you know she's a tough negotiator when it comes to food, and um, and you know that that's one of the. I mean, it's and it's not a, it's not terrible, but it's one of the few challenges that we have with her of like, oh, can you just try this new thing? I do have a a, a, a tip which I can share, which feels like a superpower for any other dads who are going through a similar thing where their child will, you know, you'll finally get them to eat something, let's say broccoli, for example, and they eat it and they accept like, oh, actually, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I I really thought this was going to, the world was going to end, but here I am eating the broccoli and it's okay. And then the next day, even, or the next time you come to eat broccoli, the same thing happens where you're like, I can't eat that. Well, you, you ate it yesterday and that logic doesn't cut through. I um I've started archiving messages labeled under different foods from Ivy to her future self. And it's one of the most powerful tools imaginable because I'll get if she eats something and she's okay with it, I interview her for 30 seconds after I say, What have you just eaten? I've just eaten broccoli. How was it? It was good. Did you like it? Yeah. Would you eat it again? Yes. Okay. In the future, you're going to 
not want to eat this, what would you say to yourself? Oh, I, I think I should eat it. Okay, can you tell yourself that then? Yes, okay, Ivy, eat the broccoli. It's nice. Thanks very much. Wow. That it's amazing. is a parenting top tip right there. It's incredible. I've got so I've got about 50 videos labeled as different foods and I do it for every <laughs> single one and it's 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 been a game changer. Matt, it's been absolutely incredible. You've been so open, so helpful, so funny as well. Thank you so much for being part of this uh, and joining the Dad Vengers podcast. Hopefully That's I'll see you pleasure. soon and we'll yeah, we'll get to writing that nursery rhyme. Yeah, fantastic. I look forward to it. I'll get Ivy to start programming a beat now. Do it. I'm excited about this. <laughs> So interesting listening to Matt talk about his life growing up and how his dad was, how he is as a father, how he's dealt with mental health, how he's really involved with his child. So much in there and I hope you enjoyed listening. So there you have it, another fantastic episode. Thank you so much for listening and if you have time, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode or of the series as a whole. And don't forget, you can subscribe or follow using your preferred podcast platform to be first to hear the episodes. If you'd like to find out more about Dadvengers, head to dadvengers.com where you can find out more information about our live chats, about our meetups, quizzes, blog posts and more. This has been the Dadvengers podcast sponsored by Tonka because being tough is all about getting out and playing. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.